Good morning. Please be seated. That's all right. Just <laughs> enough, enough. Be seated. It's good to be here this morning. How are you guys today? Well, we're uh, kind of doing a rotation system here, and I think Pastor Zach is in Colorado this week. Uh, Randy Mayfield is in Boswell. Pastor Craig is maybe who knows where and landing somewhere else. And I mean, everybody's everywhere. So that leaves you with me. Are you guys okay with that? Amen. I just like to hear that sound one more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, just, I just somehow I can't get enough of that for some reason. <laughs> All right, no, I'm just kidding. We're talking this week, as you know, the theme kind of in Victory Life Church is winning in life. And uh, how many is in favor of winning in life? I, I think I am. I think you are too. I think if I were to ask any of you and pin you down, you want to be successful and you want to be a winner. There's no doubt about that. A lot of times we have an ambition and aspiration to be a winner in life, but it seems like just about the time we think that we get somewhere, something happens that we don't quite, we're not quite able to step over that threshold and something knocks us back or something happens or we sabotage our own lives and a lot of people really do that. Somehow there's some people that seem to be allergic to success. It seems like every time success comes knocking on their door, they sued something really boneheadedly stupid and seem to drive it away. And yet, success is trying to run over. So as a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, the scripture said, Here I am, wisdom. I'm standing on the chief, in the chief concourses of everywhere you go. I'm standing on the housetop. I'm on the rooftops. I'm screaming at you. If you'll just listen to me, I'll make your life a success. And yet, he said, people just blunder right on by. So I want to kind of talk about this morning and see why possibly it is that we miss those milestones in our life that could be great changing points that would help us on our road to success. Because as I know all of you, and I know many of you, some faces I've never seen before, but some I've been seeing for years and I've watched your lives and some people seem to get over and really make a great success. Some people have a struggle, it seems like, their entire life. And it's just kind of a curiosity. And I have to believe that the Bible addresses any issue in our life. Amen. It addresses every issue. So, in James chapter 1, that's where we're going to start this morning. And uh, this morning, uh, this is pretty strong, some of the things I'm going to talk about today. And I don't know if you've been to any of the other services. Maybe you're all 11 o'clock attendees. This is the center group. And I, I appreciate you guys being here. It's the one I like. But the 8 o'clock service is really is more of our seasoned citizens, if you know what I mean in there. And it was pretty strong for them. And I was kind of... Been a while, so I had a whole lot, and I tried to pump way too much into it. And man, we were pumping oxygen in there. We had the defibrillator out. We were giving them insure and boost, and we did everything we could to revive some of those people. But we like, oh, he almost lost a few, and I think two died, but somehow they come back to life. And, and so I'm going to try not to choke you guys down. Are you okay with that today? I'll try to be gentle with you because I love you so much. I wouldn't dare be unkind to you, but. The word might just really spank you upside the head, but not me. I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. So, James chapter 1. I remember the first time I read this, and I thought, this can't be because I knew I wasn't here. Verse number 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. The word divers means different or different types of temptations. And I remember the first time that I read that, I thought, who in their right mind would count it a joy to be in a temptation? That just didn't make sense to me. And really, if I continued to think today as I did back then, it still wouldn't make sense. I had to really 
begin to think, what is God talking about here? What's he saying as you study the scriptures over time? Everybody say progression. Progression Progression will finally get you where you need to be. And you'll learn things and you'll grow and you'll develop if you'll stay with it. If you'll continue with it. This word temptation is an unusual word. In the Greek, and I can't remember actually the strong concordance name for it. I couldn't pronounce it even if I could spell it to you in Hebrew or in the Greek language or whatever it was. But it meant a putting to proof or a testing. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But here's what happened. Once you get to that point, then the definition takes a diversion and it either goes to the right or to the left. One way means a putting to test or putting to proof by testing with an experience of evil. The other one means an experiment of good. Now, I'm okay with the experiment of good. I'll take those all day long. Even if I foul them up, just give me another one. I like experiments of good. I like good things. I like good gifts. I like good life. I like good people around me. I like good things. I'm just, I just like good. But the other one, the experience of evil, is the one I don't like. There's nothing about that that sounds good to me. And I have to think if this is what he's talking about, and the context will tell us what he's actually talking about. I have to think, if he's actually talking about an experience of evil, and it comes and it's something, why would I count that joy? What good could come out of an experience of evil? And again, when I'm saying that, you're probably thinking, and all these things are going through your head as to what evil means, and it's going to mean different things to different people. In the language, sometimes we have these barriers, and how we were raised, and, and how we use language, and what people think one word means versus another, and even when we're trying to take something that was written 2,000 years ago and incorporate that into our lives today. And I did realize, uh, and this is very important when you study the scriptures, who the author was and who the intended audience was when he was speaking. These were people who were going through tremendous hardships in their life. They were being persecuted. I mean, the church was literally being torn apart, people thrown into prison and beat up for their faith and everything else. So you have to realize when he was talking to them and said, I want you to count it joy when you fall into these very hard testings and these trials. And you're thinking, how could anybody have the kind of mentality or be able to wrap their mind around the ideal that going through a temptation could possibly in any wise be good? Right? I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you're smarter than I am. And some of you look smarter. Some of you don't look so much. But <laughs> some, I mean, I, it's just the way it is. I'm not going to give you the percentages that I think it is, but. So he says, knowing this. So there's things we have to know. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Going through things. Learning to be patient in those things. And learning to let God do the things that he wants to do. Even though the temptation may not be coming from him. And I think we're going to see in context where the temptation comes from. Several years ago, I read a book by a Korean pastor, and at the time, he was pastor of the largest church in the world. His name was uh, Paul Yonggi Cho, and he said that the problem with the Western mind, that's you and I, the Western mind, North, Central America, Western Europe, this Western mind versus the Eastern world is, so we have this concept that the only thing that's important is to be out of trouble. The only thing that's important to us is if we're in a problem is to get out as quickly as we can. And I thought, yeah, that's me. The, the, the tag, I'm it. 
But he said, if we in the Western world with so many advantages that we have and so many opportunities that we have compared to the rest of the world. You know, in, in the United States right here, we spend about 10% of our disposable income on food. That's not too bad. Some places in the world, it's 90%. And so we're mad because we can't afford an extra nice vehicle versus the one we have. And we're upset and we don't think we're prosperous because... And yet we have... So all of this leftover, so to speak, to do what we want to. Well, there's people in the world, it takes everything they can get their hands on just to eat, just to survive. Amen? Well, I tell you what, when you start thinking at it and looking at it through those eyes, I think, oh, my God. You know, maybe, maybe I could slow down just a little bit and listen to God and see what he's trying to say. Dr. Cho said, if we could wait for just a while, maybe God, even in the trials that we go through, can take those trials and teach us something that is actually beneficial to us. Now, I know you're thinking, boy, I don't know. Well, let's read on through this and we'll see if possibly that's true. So we know that the trying of our faith worketh patience. But when we let patience, that's that waiting and trusting and a confident reliance upon God. Actually, the word patience means cheerful or heartfelt endurance. Cheerful. Everybody say cheerful. cheerful. Now look like you mean it. Come <laughs> on. Consistency or endurance. Let endurance, this cheerful endurance, this heartfelt endurance, this consistency, have her perfect work that you may be perfect or complete and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. Well, that's kind of where we want to be, isn't it? To a place where we don't lack anything. That we have everything that we could possibly need to fulfill the vision and call of God on our life. We're talking about winning in life. To win in life, you ultimately would have everything you need, right? That would, what, that's what I would kind of call winning in life. And yet here were people going through things and wondering why they were going through it. And somehow it doesn't seem that that was the question he ever addressed. They didn't always know where the problems came from. And he'll go on to tell them where their problems were coming from. But they had this ability to, no matter what they were facing, to be strong, to stand strong. And to keep pressing forward no matter what was taking place. And my, my goodness, we, we sometimes, we get bent out of shape if we have a flat tire. We get bent out of shape if somehow we aren't appointed to be play on the team or something like that. And we're mad and we're upset and we're going to quit. Nobody loves me and I think I'll just kill myself. And there was people who were going through real trials. And he said, now count it all joy when you go through these trials. Let's read on down. Look at verse number 12, blessed. This word blessed means empowered to prosper. And if you could, and if you would, I have so got that a part of my psyche that any time in the scriptures, when I see the word blessed, I seldom say blessed, I say empowered to prosper. Because that's exactly what God did when he came to Abraham and he blessed him. He gave him the ability to be the father of nations, to be the head, not to tell, to be blessed coming in and going out. And he'd be the father of nations and all nations would call him blessed. He was empowered to prosper and to succeed. So he says right here, empowered to prosper or blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Sometimes there's things that we have to endure. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted. So we want to know, is my temptation an experience of evil or is it an experiment of good? Same word can be used in either place. 
context tells us. And he says right here, in context, let no man when he's tempted say, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Anything that is an experience of evil does not come from God. You may have to go through it, and God may use it. He may use it to bring things out of you, to show you things, to reveal things to you. That's for your good and your benefit. But he's not the source of those things. Amen. 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 Why these things happen? Well, let's read on. You're not going to like this one. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you won't like this. Go ahead and tell somebody. Just tell anybody, you won't like this. But I'm going to read it anyway. Is that okay? Because the person next to you isn't going to like it. That's not going to keep you from listening, is it? But every man or woman is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe the devil's not my enemy after all. Maybe it's partly me. Don't, I, that doesn't mean he's not my enemy. But my own lust, something that's, he said every man that's among you. This is talking about the church in general. But then he breaks it down to his own lust. This individualizes it. That each and every one of us have something inside of us. I call it a default mechanism. That it's a weakness that even no matter how long we've been walking and growing and trying to groom ourselves and trying to manage these things, there's a default in each and every one of us that if we're not careful, we'll default to that weakness, so to speak. And mine's different than yours. Yours is different than mine. We all think differently. I know what mine is. I don't know what yours is. I could be around you for a while and I might see it over time. But only no one really knows himself except their own heart. The only a man's own heart knows him, the real person on the inside of him. And that's who God wants to deal with. So it got me to thinking, where does these lusts come from? Where's this default mechanism on the inside of me that causes me to, when I almost get to the finish line, I trip and fall. Or somehow something tells me I'm not the one who should cross the finish line. And so I sabotage my own life for some reason. And I do something really crazy right at the crux of the moment of entering into something really great for my life. Years ago, <clears throat> there's a there's a veterinarian. His name is Dr. Robert Miller, DVM, and he was on a lecture tour and he was working with young foals in the racehorse industry. And he lectured and he came up with this training philosophy called imprint training. Has anybody ever heard of imprint training? A few hands around the room. Imprint training. So what they realized was that these horses, they have a flight mentality. They're, they're the prey, and they realize it. And one of the things that people who break horses will tell you is one of the fears that a horse has to get over it is something looming over it. Like when you get up in the saddle, they're not quite sure what's going on. What, what are you doing up there? I, they like eye level, and they, they don't like that. And so in the imprint training, they would loom over those young coats that were just born. They didn't know to be afraid yet. Even though that instinct was in them and they would take and they would handle that horse and they would let them smell them and they would just touch and rub all over that horse in the initial stages of their learning behavior, they began to imprint ideals and thoughts within their psyche, in their, in their inward person. If a horse has a person, I guess you could say that might not be the right term, but in their psyche so that as they begin to develop, these behaviors would pass from that point all the way through their training experience and they weren't as afraid of 
humans. They might still have to be broken, etc. But they weren't afraid of them. It was called imprint. Things that were in their psyche. Well, listen, we have things inside of us that have been imprinted based upon experiences and where we came from and how we were raised and things that we were heard and things that we said and, and things that we went through and maybe we handled well or we didn't handle so well. And it's caused things within our psyche, within our DNA even. It's become a part of us and it's engrafted in that causes us to see things a certain way, that causes us to believe things a certain way. It causes us to respond to people and things in a certain way. It's not exactly our fault, maybe. It's things that happen to us, but that doesn't advocate us from the responsibility of dealing with those situations. It just means that that's the lot that I have to deal with. Why? My fault, your fault, nobody's fault. It's still a fault that has to be dealt with. Even people, and I'm not a clinical psychologist or an anthropologist, but people who have studied through the eons of time, anthropologically speaking, if that's the right, right way to say that, have said that there's been such an evolution of things and passed on from generation to generation to generation. There's just things within our psyche that become so much a part of us engrafted within us that it's just how we see things and even if you see the truth sometimes it's hard to recognize because you see things through a certain prism through a certain set of glasses through a certain mentality and a certain mindset and it causes you to react to react in the way that you see things we react differently today in the world if you ask almost anyone that's at least a few years ago it's somewhat changing especially through the universities and the teaching that's going on through much of the universities, not everyone, but many that are teaching uh, anti-God, anti-Christian, uh, against America type philosophy. There was a time that when everybody said, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. They may not have a clue what they were saying. I'm just raised in America. That makes me a Christian. See my money in God we trust. And that we just assume that we're a Christian nation because it was engrafted within our DNA. If you go to other countries, there's countries that literally hate other countries and they don't know why they hate them. It's just in their DNA because it's been passed from generation to generation. And everything that they've seen or been taught has been tainted with that mentality. And you become imprinted with that psyche, that philosophy. And I'll tell you what, it can be a literal hindrance to you. About the time you want to really be successful and go forward, it seems like you have things going and, and you're at a level where things are really going well, but all of a sudden you're trying to go to the next level. You're trying to step up one more step on the ladder. You're trying to just break over and have one more great relationship or just something seems to foul that. Almost every time. And you sit back and you think, man, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I, I'm a great person. I'm, I'm, I try to be honest. I love God. I think I love people. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. I'm doing this. And it seems like things are just falling apart. So we come up with this idea. And again, when we read words and things, and they have certain meanings to different people based upon the imprinting that you have within your particular individuality. It's different than mine. Mine. I know what my default system. I know what my weakness is. I've known it for years and I have to really work on it. And even though I have to work on it and I believe God that for freedom and I have in spite of it pressed phone, it's never actually went away. I've had to deal with it. It's just there. It lurks under the shadow, so to speak. And if I let myself get tired or I'm not in the Word or I let myself get caught up in this life and, and I don't really stay connected to God like I want to, it will rise 
up and raise its head when I least expected. And I said, that gummit, I blew it again. You ever have one of them dad gummit moments? <laughs> Man, I just get tired of those. I'm ready for hallelujah, we won. Instead of those dead gummit, I blew it again. Even in, in this, we, we come up in certain churches and certain philosophies and certain denominations where we have this idea that God's a condemning God. He's against us and he's not for us. And so we see things through the eyes and the prism of condemnation. So anytime we're in a, a situation, we think somehow God's judging us and he's against us. And therefore, I'm not worthy to go on. And something that happens when we do that, instead of taking our issues to God, we want to take our issues to someone else. We want a cleansing and we want to wash ourselves. And sometimes we just have to talk. And we just take them to someone else and pretty soon we're just spewing to anyone and everyone. And nothing really ever gets fixed that way. Come, lean in real close. I'm going to tell you a secret. Now I'm not going to tell nobody else it but you. You can't trust people. You can't trust them. Oh, they'd like to tell you you can, but I promise you this. You have to be really, really, really careful. Because, see, the person you're trying to share your heart with and your story with that you think is going to help you, they got their own story that they're dragging around behind them. They have their own baggage. And you're wanting them to fix yours and they can't fix themselves? Hmm? It's what happens. A lot of people will share their heart with and just explode. And you can't be that vulnerable with people because it's inevitable that they will use it against you even though they don't really mean to sometimes. I'm not talking about, there may be two or three people that you can speak to. And we have pastoral staff that really work hard at not judging you based on the things that you tell them. But it's still hard. I don't know if Leo will admit that or Colton, but we've heard some things that we think, oh my God, I wish I had never have heard that. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? Oh, it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm thinking, get, the, get out of my head, get out of my head, get out of my head. Get out of my head, get out of my head. And now you're in my head. How did you do that? <laughs> so you have to be really careful even when you're sharing with people. And we think that if we share things with people and we confess and we're open, then that's going to heal us because we feel good for the moment. But they really can't help us that well. But God has created a system of coming to him with these issues that we have, regardless of where they come from or how we came up with them, and actually find a place where he can literally fix us and make us well. Amen? Amen. Would you like to see that? We're going to go to Psalms chapter 32. I'm going to read this out of my paper Bible. I, I was thinking about this this morning. I have these little paper Bibles, they're, uh, the Passion Translation. I don't have it in one of the big ones, but I remember just how goofy people can be. Several years ago, we were uh, in a church, and a guy came up to me and said, what Bible do you use? And I said, well, I've got a, a Thompson chain reference. And he said, what do you mean? A That's a Baptist Bible. And I said, what? <laughs> What's that mean? It's a Baptist Bible. That's not, it's not full of the Holy Ghost. And I said, what? <laughs> I didn't know that either. And he said, well, I said, what should I have? And he said, you should have a Dakes. Have you ever seen a Dakes Bible? You got to have a wheelbarrow to carry those things around. They're so big. <laughs> you can hit the devil with a Dakes Bible and knock him smooth out. You don't need anything else. And I thought, that's just crazy. Isn't that crazy? I don't know what a Baptist Bible is, but I used it. And I was raised in all kinds of churches. When I was growing up, it seemed to work well. 
And then I had these guys, if you didn't have, well, look at my Bible. It's got a leather cover and a genuine leather, not that bonded leather, and <laughs> name on it and little tabs on the side of it here. And, boy, they were so impressed with their Bibles, you know what I mean? And, and then I, was, I had mine in, in uh, gosh, I don't know what you do with your Bible, but I think this one here. I've just started these recently, but, but if you look in there, that's what I do to mine. I just write all over the things. And I was writing in my Bible one day and said, well, you can't do that. And I said, why? Is this holy? <laughs> I said, that's a holy book. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. Should I be touching it? Because <laughs> I'm not very holy, and I knew it. But that's how people think. They have these ideals that are just contrary to common sense sometimes. And then when I saw, how many was at Jubilee this year? You see Pastor John Donnelly? Just that rag that he was carrying for a Bible. And I thought, he must have drugged that behind the airplane from Scotland to here. It was just a rag. And I thought, if he can have a rag Bible, I can use a paper Bible. Is that okay? I said that just simply to say, people are crazy. They think crazy. They have crazy ideals, and somehow it becomes religious ideals to them, and they actually kind of create a, a religious philosophy around these crazy things that they've adopted along the way, and they couldn't tell you where it came from. It's just something that someone said, and they've adopted it into their life, and it becomes almost legalistic to them. It has to be the King James. And I'm thinking, why? I said, it's the most original. I said, but it doesn't go back to the original works. There's other Bibles that go way back further than it is. Yeah, but... It's still not the same. And I thought, well, there's your argument. It's still not the same. Not a very good one either, right? So this is the Passion Translation. If you have a problem with it, uh, get over yourself. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. It's really good. This is, this is God's point of view concerning these imprinted ideals that we have in our mind. How happy and fulfilled are those whose rebellion has been forgiven. Those whose sins are covered by blood. How blessed and relieved are those who have confessed their corruption to God. So who do you confess your corruption to? God. Not your neighbor. Because your neighbor doesn't always know how to handle it well. I'm going to share something else with you. This is even another secret. Come in again. You can have a horrible story, and I empathize with you, and I feel for you. But I'll be honest with you. Most people, they want to hear your story, and they'll hear your story, but they don't want to hear it every day. Amen. They only want to hear it a time or two, and that's enough. And if they're not seeing progress in your life, and you're just whining about the same thing over and over and over and over, and they're pretty soon, they'll avoid you. And you're coming to us and say, why don't anybody like me? And I said, well, I can tell you why I don't. I don't know about anybody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> we get a call in the middle of the night one night, and I've said this before, but I don't know who answered the phone, Donna or I, but she's talking, and this lady's telling us it's her seventh husband's fault why she's not happy. <laughs> and I said... I said, her, it's her seventh husband's fault. And I said, so that's the problem. And it just kind of went over her head like she never got it. You know what I mean? Well, she's a good lady. I really like this lady. 
But she had trouble with relationships. And it's not that you can't have a bad relationship or one go wrong. And it's not that God doesn't forgive you. And it's not that you can't start over. And it's not that you can't have a great relationship. It simply is if you've had seven go bad, you need some answers so the eighth one doesn't go bad. Is that just common sense? or That's not condemnation, is it? That's just smart. That's just smart. If every time I say, wonder what that does, and the trap snaps on my finger, I'm thinking once is enough. Um, I wonder what that does. Mm, I wonder if it'll do it again. Mm, what if it'll do it with this finger? Oh, yes. Yeah, what about this finger? Oh, yeah, yeah. It just, um, I think this thing, maybe if I do it with the lights off. Hey, you know, maybe if I come from this way, it won't get. And we just keep sticking our fingers in the trap and think, my God, what's wrong with this life? It's just full of traps everywhere you go. <laughs> And see, we have this, this road map right here that shows us where the pitfalls and the obstacles are. If we could learn how to get into this. So he could show us, don't put your finger here. There? <laughs> yeah, there. Don't put your... Oh. All right. Maybe you guys don't talk to as many stupid people as I do, but <laughs> it's just unreal. And you know what's bad is it's me sometimes. How blessed and relieved are those who have confessed their corruption to God. For he wipes all their slates clean and removes hypocrisy from their hearts. He's not talking about hypocrisy like you and I think about. Where I act one way but behind the scenes I'm something else. The word hypocrisy, you know it's hypocrites. It comes from theater, someone from behind the mask so to speak. They would come out with those little sticks with a mask on it and you didn't really know. You usually know. It reminds me of a story. One time my grandmother, when she was young, the Ku Klux Klan rode through a parade in our little town. I said, there was a Klan here? I said, oh, yeah. I said, they really weren't a Klan. I said, well, were they as mean? said, oh, they'd beat up anybody. They didn't care what color you were. It wasn't about black or white. They just liked to beat people up. And I said, well, well uh, how'd they get by with it? And how did y'all know who they were? And this and that. I said, it's easy to tell. I said, one day they would come through the parade and this guy was in his sheet on his horse and a little kid when I said I know that and I'm going to change the name said that's Mr. Brown I'd know his feet anywhere said he was a guy that had about a 13 shoe and the only guy in town that had a foot that big and then I thought you know everybody had about one horse to the family and everybody knew everybody so how are you going to ride through town anyway in your hypocrisy and covered up and think nobody's going to see it but this hypocrisy that he's talking about is not something that I hide from you, but it's something that I hide from God. Have you ever thought about how crazy that is to think that you're going to come before the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving, all-powerful God and have something hid that he doesn't know about? Have something hid that he doesn't recognize and, and understand and know how to deal with? How is it that we think we can... Con God. Listen, you're not really conning God. You're conning yourself. You're conning yourself. And part of it is, I agree, and part of it is this mentality that we've carried, whether it be by some type of evolutionary process of the last few hundreds of years or through when we were a child, how we were raised, or things that's happened during the construction of our psyche along the way that we've had this guilt and condemnation complex that we think if I let God know that 
he's not going to like me as well. And so we try to work things out for ourselves and we try to fix things ourselves and we try to cover things up and we don't want to deal with things because if, if you'll just give me time, I can fix this. And so we take these little gremlins in our life and we raise the rug up, so to speak, and sweep everything under the rug because we've got company coming over. We laid the rug over it and we're all sitting around having a wonderful time. And it's okay, except you can't keep the gremlins under the rug. They will come out at the most embarrassing opportunity. And that's what happens with things that we don't deal with. We think we've got them covered and under control and we're going to deal with it. And the pressure is on, the temptation is on, and things begin to come to the surface. Now listen, it's not a bad thing, but is there something that you have to do? When those things come to the surface. And that's what he's going to tell us here in chapter 32. Again, only 11 scriptures and I'm going to have to read them all. I'm going to try to go through them faster. Before I confessed my sins, I kept it all inside. See, that's what he's saying. I kept it all bottled up. My dishonesty devastating my inner life. Causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible anguish, and misery. See... You don't live life from the outside in. You live life from the inside out. And if your inward life is messed up, there's nothing you can do outwardly to fix that or compensate. You get your inward life fixed, man, you got it made. You have whipped the devil. And you can whip anything that comes down the road because you got the inward part, man, fixed. That's where life comes from. It comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. If you're still happy based on your circumstances, if you're still finding joy, and as he talked about this morning, not just happiness, as I think it was uh, Jesse that talked, not just happiness this morning once, he talked about that, not just being happy because circumstances are right, but you have real joy that comes from God. If that's based upon your circumstances, it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow because things change in your lives. If you're upset over who is or isn't a president or who is or isn't your congressman or who is or isn't your mayor, if those things get you bent out of shape, now I'm not saying you shouldn't be engaged, not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about if you don't have that stability of heart and living from the inside out. So no matter what I go through in all things, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. There's something, a deep resolve on the inside of me. Yeah, go ahead. That's good. That's a good place to worship God. All right, let's read on. So it's from my inside out. The pain never let up, for your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. When God starts dealing with you about anything, give up. Just give up the ghost and let it go. Quit fighting God. It is a no-win battle. I don't know why I would have to tell anyone that. But you can't beat God. So when he's dealing with you, and only God knows when and how to deal with things. People can't do that for you. Only God knows. But when he chooses to deal with something, let him know. And, and this is why, this is one of the things, and I didn't share this in the other two services because I, after about two hours I ran out of time in each service, but I've still got about an <laughs> hour and a half left here. <laughs> When they're praying and Jesus is teaching and praying, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not actually the Lord's Prayer. 
it's a model of how to pray. The Lord's Prayer was in John 17 when he's praying for his disciples. That's the Lord's Prayer. And he prayed everywhere. But he said, when you pray, pray like his, our Father, which art in heaven. So I'm connecting myself with God. I'm in the world, but not of the world. I have one foot on the earth, one foot in heaven. I'm, neat, neat things are going on. How do we be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us not. And forgives our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you don't understand these scriptures and let the Bible interpret the Bible, you'll have a wrong idea of what that means. You'll have a wrong idea. And that's one of those scriptures that you almost have to have a dozen Bibles. Tore up ones, good ones, leather ones, paper ones. concordances and everything to find out what he's trying to say because in their language and their mentality and what he was saying versus what we're receiving is differently. And all he's saying simply is it not lead us into temptation because we already seen where God doesn't lead us into an evil place. He said, don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say it's God who's killing me. Don't you ever say it's God who's making me sick. Don't you ever say it's God who burned my house down and destroyed my barley fields. Don't you ever say it's God who's causing me because he's trying to teach me something. God will take those things and teach you something out of it, but he's not the source of those things. So when he said, lead us not into temptation, he's just saying, put a watch over me. Lead me into a place that I'm able to help. I'm able to handle. I'm able to deal with the issues at hand. Don't let me get too far ahead of you or stay too far behind, the writer said in one place. And this is what he's talking about. God wants to deal with us when the time is appropriate and the time is right. And not everything at one time. Where am I at? Anybody remember? Verse 4. The pain never let up. Thank you. For your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. My strength was sapped. My inner life was dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. Anybody ever feel like that? I do. Then I finally admitted to you all my sins, refusing to hide them any longer. I said, Lord, did you forget that one? There he is. I've been hiding him, but here he is. So I said, my life giving God, I will openly acknowledge all my evil actions and you forgive me. All at once, the guilt of my sin washed away and all my pain disappeared. See, when you can see the cost benefit and do an analysis on it, When I see the benefit versus what I think the cost is, it far exceeds anything it could possibly cost me because all of my pain will be gone and disappeared. This doesn't mean my life is totally fixed. It just means the point where God is dealing with me at that time can be fixed immediately and washed away. Now, how do I know it's a progressive life? Because he goes on to say, this is what I've learned through it all. Every believer should confess their sins to God. So he's not talking about a first-time thing. He's talking about a continual life as a believer. You're going to constantly be repenting as he brings things to your remembrance. Every believer should confess their sins to God. Do it every time God has uncovered you. Every time God has uncovered you. So God doesn't uncover me before you. He would never do that. But he will uncover me in my time with him. And by observation of my own life. I really think this. This is kind of my three-step approach to uncovering. I think this is me. This is just me. I think, number one, God's going to deal with you directly and personally. If he's got something he needs to deal with. By the Spirit, through the Word, it doesn't matter. But he's going to deal with you. And you're going to know he's dealing with you. If you reject that, 
He's probably going to use someone else. He may use Daryl. Daryl don't even know he's being used. And he all of a sudden says something that just convicts you to the core. And he doesn't even know he got used because God doesn't want him to have to bear the burden of carrying my sin. He may use Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Zach, Pastor Colton. Colton added something to what I said this morning. I hope he does it again. That was phenomenal. I just couldn't get to all of it. And so he, God reveals things to us at times that we don't even know we're being used. And he's, if that doesn't work, if, number one, God can't deal with you directly. He can't deal with you through someone else. He may have to kind of give you to yourself and let circumstances deal with you. He said, what does that mean? Well, I know that in one place, Paul said, look, we can't deal with this guy. I've given him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, the things around him that he might yet be saved. In other words, I don't know when you might cross that line. I've never crossed that line with anybody yet. I've never felt confident enough to cross that line with a person. I don't want to cross that line with anyone. I hope I never have to. Possibly someone else says, there have been people when I had to just back away, maybe that's the same thing and say, I can't help you anymore and hope it's somebody else wiser than I can help them. And maybe that's the same thing. I'm not sure. But God doesn't want to expose you before people. He doesn't want you up here confessing all of your morbid sins before everyone else. So we have to carry that burden and now we're dealt with having to judge you for the rest of your life. And why would a Christian do that? We're just human. We can't help it. You just told me the most horrible, horrid story. And I've never imagined anybody could even be that wicked. And you know what I mean? I don't need that burden. But I can go before God and he can take that burden. And it's no big issue with him. No big issue at all. So we're almost done. Stay with me. All at once, my guilt and sin washed away. Every believer should confess their sins to God. Do it every time God has uncovered you. In the time of exposing. In the time of exposing. This is where trials and tribulation really find where they're good for you as a Christian. They expose what's on the inside of you. They expose things on the inside that you didn't even know was there. And the purpose of that is not to hurt you. The purpose of that is to get things out of the way that hinder you from moving on with God and moving on up in life. There's just certain things. When, when God told Adam, he said, there's just one thing you can't do. Don't eat of that one tree. And what do you know? Adam and Eve, they ate of that one tree. And God, you know, he, he just he said, he threw his head on the ground. He said, I can't believe I gave you one thing, one thing. And you broke the one law. God was a cowboy. He wore a hat. <laughs> and not only will that, you let everything be confirmed by two witnesses. He sends them out of the garden. So he took his boot and kicked them right in the behind, kicked them out the door. And then he put a big angel with a sword so they couldn't come back in. Because they didn't want to go out there. They wanted to come back to where it was safe. God's trying to propel you forward. He's trying to get you out of your safe zone. Because you don't want to go forward because you have to deal with issues in your life. And nobody wants to have to deal with these issues. Well, how do you know I have issues? Because you can't get along with nobody. How do you know I have issues? Because you're addicted to this substance or that substance. Well, how do you know I have issues? Because you've got a bad attitude all the time and... And you're negative. How do you know I have issues? Because you're a glutton and a blasphemer and a 
pickpocket and a bigot and a this and a that. And I have my own issues, so don't, I'm not judging you, but I'm saying that's how I know you have issues. <laughs> I told you don't get mad at me, get mad at God. I'm too nice to say things like this. But God doesn't care what you think. <laughs> Say, I love Brother Colton. Because <laughs> he's going to come up and, and powder all this and make it smell a little better at the end. I wouldn't tell you this if I wasn't concerned for you and I want you to do well. I wouldn't let you just keep on hi- hanging on to dead things that are just stink. Have you ever been around something just dead and it just stinks and, and it's just nasty? And then we got these dead things hanging around our neck and we wonder why we're repelling people because you stink. You smell dead and death is all around you. And that's not what God's looking for. So, I'm, 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 I really, I promise, we're trying to land the plane right now. Almost through. Blessed is every believer who confesses their sins to God. Do it every time God has uncovered you in the time of exposing. For if you do this, then sudden storms of life overwhelm. You will be kept safe. Lord, you are my secret hiding place, protecting me from these troubles, surrounding me with songs of gladness. Your joyous shouts of rescue release my breakthrough. Everybody say breakthrough. Amen. That's what I want to break through. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you. Instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life, I will advise you along the way. This is God saying in this process. And lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. Not your eyes, what you can see. For the temporal things you're going through are just that temporal he sees eternally. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn. When I take you where, you're not, where you've not been before, don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. That's what God's saying. Don't make me drag you into this. Just come along. So my conclusion is this. And everybody said amen. Amen. We're at the conclusion. Many are the sorrows and frustrations of those who don't come clean with God. But when you trust in the Lord for forgiveness, his wraparound love will surround you. So celebrate the goodness of God. He shows his kindness to everyone who he is. Go ahead. Shout for joy, all you upright ones who want to please him. You just missed your opportunity to shout right there. That's what God's saying. A good life awaits you. Amen? Amen. Do you love the Lord today? Amen. Amen.